Want a career in game development or filmmaking? Come to Terminus. The Terminus Conference and Festival is a -a one-of-a-kind event for emerging creatives in film and gaming. It's held June 22nd to June 25th, 2017 in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's perfect for creators and fans looking to grow their careers while also having fun. Explore different networking opportunities, parties, and educational workshops for game developers led by the likes of Ubisoft, IDOS Montreal, and Shell Games. Best of all, achievement-oriented listeners can get 25% off all-access badges by using code ACHIEVEMENT, all one word in lowercase, at checkout. Visit TerminusEvent.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Achievement Oriented, the Ringer's gaming podcast. My name is Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by my fellow writer for the Ringer, Jason Concepcion. Hello. Hello. Still without internet, unfortunately for you, at home at least. Yeah. Between internets. Yeah, right. Well, we have a lot to get to today. I do want to talk about the new game Rhyme. It's a puzzle adventure game that has drawn comparisons, sometimes to its detriment, to a lot of beloved games like Eco and Journey and even The Wind Waker. And I played it. I wrote about it for The Ringer. That story's up right now. I talked to the creative director. You haven't had a chance to play it yet because of the internetlessness. Yeah, but that's okay because it comes out today, so no one listening has played it either, and wouldn't be much fun for them if we talked about it and they couldn't play it. So play it sometime in the next week. It's a fairly short game, and we will discuss it then. And maybe if you're just looking for a judgment on whether or not to play it, I say yes. I liked it a lot, but we'll get into why on the next episode. But we have a a full slate today. Later in the show, we're going to talk to Kyle Orland, who is a senior gaming editor for Ars Technica, and he just wrote about an interesting court case that Valve and Blizzard are going through with copyright infringement with Dota 2 and has some interesting implications. And we're also going to talk to Jonathan Allen, who is a very highly touted football player, one of the best college football players last year, and a recent first-round NFL draft pick, also a big gamer. So we're going to ask him about that. But first, we're going to talk to director Doug Lyman, who you know from Swingers, from Mr. and Mrs. Smith, from Born Identity, from Edge of Tomorrow. So many good movies. He has some new projects out that we want to talk to him about, but he is sort of a a video game informed director. So we want to ask him about the crossovers between video game making and and movie making and how it's affected his own work. So we are joined now by director Doug Lyman, whose new movie, The Wall, stars Aaron Taylor Johnson and John Cena in a standoff between two American soldiers and an Iraqi sniper. He also has a new VR series, which we will ask him about, called Invisible. And he has another movie coming out in September, American Made. So he's very busy. He's having to turn down projects left and right but fortunately he said yes to this podcast so we're happy to have him on hi doug hi it's nice to talk to you hey yes so i saw you uh, a few weeks ago at the tribeca games festival and you were on a a small panel with ken levine of bioshock fame and it was clear that there was a lot of mutual respect and appreciation for each other's craft as you were speaking and you've become known as a a movie maker who's video game savvy or or informed by video games in some way a lot of people say that that edge of tomorrow or, or live die repeat as it's also known as kind of the best hollywood video game movie even though it wasn't actually an adaptation of one, but just as sort of an establishing shot for this segment, can you give us a brief history of your past with video games, either as a player or as an appreciator? Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I get addicted to them very easily. <laughs> I'm not very good. Uh-huh. I mean, honestly, like I'm, I, I, I barely made it off the first island on Grand Theft Auto. And I mean, I'm, I'm so I, I'm, I have to really control when I allow myself to, to play a, a video game. And in fact, you know, my, my longtime editor, Steve Marioni, who's, you know, won an Academy Award and been nominated for others. He at points has turned down work and said, you know, for the next six months, I'm going to just be playing a video game. <laughs> It'll just be in his garage, you know, because I mean, they really, I mean, maybe if you're younger, but, you know, for our generation, you know, it takes us a little longer to, to get through a, a you know, a, a role playing video game. And so, you know, you really do have to turn down work. So I, I occasionally, you know, instead of going away for like Christmas or some holiday, I'm going to stay home and play a video game. But like, cause I, I just, it's too addictive and it's not just, you know, sort of shooter games. I, uh, one Christmas that I was staying home playing games, I playing like an NHL hockey game on like Nintendo. And I was like, you know, ice hockey seems pretty fun. 
And I ended up buying a bunch of gear and joining an ice hockey league. I never played before. I'd only played on the video game. Um, and I still play ice hockey. I don't, I don't play the video game anymore, but I play, I play real ice hockey. Um, <laughs> Did those skills transfer? They do not transfer for, for future reference. You know, for, for your, this is one of these do not try it at home. Because I don't right. think I, I mean, they were so mean to me. when I showed up at this ice hockey league and just jumped out on the ice, you know, and I hadn't, I hadn't had people be that mean to me since dodgeball when I was like 10. <laughs> Basically telling me to get off the ice. Yeah. And trying to trip me with their sticks. You know, like they don't do that in the video games. Yes. Well, that's a good segue because I wanted to start by asking you about the video game hockey scene in Swingers, which, you know, of course, that's 1996 and, and it's a, an extended scene. Maybe One of the great video game minutes. scenes in, in movies. Yeah, it really is. And and you've got, you know, Mike and Trent and Sue and they're all sitting on a couch and they're playing. I, I think it's NHLPA 93 and it's just a very naturalistic scene. You know, they're kind of taunting each other. You're showing a lot of footage from the game and... I don't know at that time yeah. whether there was a, a lot of precedent for that sort of thing, making it into movie making, although obviously it was a part of the culture. So how did that scene come about? I mean, it was part of our lives, you know, so it was as our, you know, so many of the details and swingers are, are, are drawn from real life. And I mean, it's actually embarrassing how many, how many of the things in swingers actually, there's a form of them that actually happened in real life. And the crazy thing about doing that video game scene in Swingers, you know, we're a little low budget movie. You know, we need to draw, we need to, we need to knock over Wayne Gretzky and draw blood. I wish they still had fights in this game so I could bitch slap Wayne. Wait a minute, I'm fighting anymore? Oh, doesn't that suck? Why'd they get rid of the fighting? It's the best part of the old version. I think kids were hitting each other or something, man. Yeah, but you know what, Mike? You can make their heads bleed on this one. Make somebody's head bleed. Oh, we're in playoffs. I'm gonna make Wayne Gretzky's head bleed for super fan number 99 over here. Mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The actors are, are acting like that it's happening on screen. And in the editing room, you know, I needed to get a shot, a close up of the video game where that actually happened. Because while we're shooting the scene, they're just acting like that happened. Mm -hmm. So in Vince, I had never actually seen Wayne Gretzky draw blood, but Vince claimed he he could do it repeatedly. So we, we put it in the <laughs> in the script and we it's in the movie. The actors are, are reacting to that. And then we're, we're editing the movie and I need to, I bring the, the machine into the editing room and we start playing it and we're recording it onto a videotape. So when we get the one piece we need, we'll then shoot that. We'll play that back on the TV and shoot it mm -hmm. for like weeks. <laughs> we're like, nobody can draw blood. <laughs> and I'm like, Nintendo, like, hey, you know, can you give us the backdoor key to doing this? We're just... You know, and we, it wasn't like we were even having fun playing the game because all we would do was pass the puck down and set it up for Gretzky to get the puck. And then we would, you know, try to <laughs> slam him into the boards. What was the what was eventually this? What was the trick? Yeah, it was not replicable. It wasn't like once we did it once, we were like we could do it again three more times. It was it was infuriatingly fleeting, but we happened to have gotten it on video and then we were able to play it back. But it was it almost derailed the whole movie. I mean, I don't know what would have happened, you know, this is such a, a key thing they're talking about in Swingers. It would have been really cheap if we couldn't have shown it. There it is, Mikey. Check it out. His head's bleeding. Mikey, check it out. His legs, little Wayne's legs are shaking fucking all over. Bitch. What are you doing? Fucking bitch. What are you doing? What the fuck are you? Why don't you unpause it? Come on, man. I've heard you talk about the challenges of getting swingers made before, but I haven't heard that one, so good to know. At Tribeca, you were talking about um, how video game aesthetics have informed certain scenes in your movies, and you, you talked about a scene from The Firstborn where Jason walks into the embassy and he gets ID'd, and then he has to kind of choose these pathways about what to do, whether to fight, and how to get out of there. Could you talk about that a little bit, and then any other scenes that, that have, any other things that have been informed by video games? Well, Born Identity as a whole, for me, and that was, you know, I was probably at my peak video game addiction when I was making Born Identity, and it felt to me like a first-person shooter game, the movie, because you're starting with a character who has amnesia and has nothing, and that's kind of how you start first-person shooter games. I mean, not if you're Ken Levine creating a game, but, you know, the, the traditional video game, certainly back then, you know, and then you acquire stuff, gold coins or weapons or, you know, you, so it, it felt so much like that was going to be 
the, the structure of born identity that I ended up contemplating in the edit of the movie little icons on the corner of the screen throughout the movie. And so that when Jason Bourne gets to the Swiss bank, suddenly you see a little icon for money, an icon for passports, an icon for a gun. And he, <laughs> I put a new little icon in the corner so that you could feel, and it was very much the style of how I wanted to direct the movie, that I wanted the audience to feel like they were playing Jason Bourne. They weren't just watching wow. him. So when he's trapped in the embassy, I wanted him to get to moments where he stops for a second and we in his shoes are, you know, are thinking, okay, what do I do? Do I go right, left, straight? You, red bag, the red bag stop right there. Put your hands up. And then, of course, you know, you're not actually controlling the movie. And the goal was to have the movie more clever than you would have thought of. And that was that sort of became the sort of model for the franchise, at least for the first three films, was was a put Jason Bourne in a situation, let the audience ponder it for a split second and then have Jason Bourne in that same split second come up with a solution to the predicament that's way more clever than, you know, the average person would come up with. And that's part of what makes him a superhero. The reality is we would you know, invent these situations for Jason Bourne. And then a group of us, you know, who are pretty smart and clever, would take months to figure out how to get out of it. But on screen, Jason Bourne figures it out in, you know, two seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, life would be pretty good if, if we had, uh, you know, if people, if we could all have a brain trust behind us figuring out what we need to do for us, the way Jason Bourne, mm-hmm. you know, has for him be pretty great. So I know that in Edge of Tomorrow, let I repeat, you had to struggle with kind of the core conceit of the movie, which is that the Tom Cruise character is respawning repeatedly in a video game-esque style, and you were getting notes from the studio asking if Tom Cruise really had to die, you know, once, let alone all those times. And I think it was a challenge even for you to maintain the stakes of the story when the protagonist, the action hero, keeps getting killed. And normally that is the big thing that you can hold over the audience's head is that this guy, this girl could get killed and you were doing it over and over again. So I wonder whether that gave you any appreciation for the challenges of video game storytelling, adapting video games to movies even, which has not gone very well thus far, whether that is just a barrier that is difficult to surmount when you're trying to tell a story, but you also have these mechanics of the game that are not always supporting that story. Um, it's it's not so much that, that doing Live, Die, Repeat gave me appreciation for what video game creators must go through. It's more the time travel component of being able to go back. It gave me an appreciation for time travel and its impossibility that I think uh-huh. if people want to talk about, in, will there ever in our future be a time machine? Don't talk to a physicist, talk to a filmmaker. Mm. And we can guarantee that humans will never travel through time because <laughs> the paradoxes it creates as storytellers, basically impossible to get out of, make it abundantly clear that time travel never actually really happened. Mm-hmm. You did a VR series called Invisible. It seems to me like filmmaking in VR would just be incredibly complex compared to the way it's normally done. I mean, how do you even block a scene in in VR? Let's just start there. Yeah, shooting Invisible was extremely challenging. I ended up putting together kind of a team of of directors. I, I was the most seasoned, but just sort of the smartest, sharpest minds to work with me and work with each other to figure out how how you block a scene for instance in vr how do you what are the rules which is kind of the place i really like to be in is we had material that you know i had examples that didn't work from other people and we had done some tests ourselves six months before that also didn't work and by i say didn't work i said it was not more compelling than watching something in 2d and if you're going to go to all the trouble to put on the gear it better be more compelling than just watching it in 2D. It better offer something new. That started a long exploration of, of different ways in which to block and compose shots to make VR emotionally compelling. And the, the real sort of eye-opener 
was that PR requires a higher level of engagement between the audience and the subjects. Movies can, you can watch 10 minutes of a movie, 20 minutes of a movie before you really invest in care because of the eye candy of it, you know, or because it's funny or, but in VR, you have to want to follow the story. That's a requirement of VR. So, you know, if you're looking the wrong way and you're seeing just an empty wall, you have to want to find where the people are. And did you find that freeing? Did you find it exhilarating? I, I know that you like to work that way where you're trying to figure out how to do what you're doing as you're doing it. But we talked a few weeks ago to a VR developer named Robin Hunnicky, who was telling her that the first time she developed a game for VR, the first time she tried it, she was just completely blown away by it. She thought this is the future. Did you have that sort of reaction with VR? Do you think it's the future or is it just a different way to do mostly the same thing? Yeah, I think it's another form of storytelling. And it's, I mean, VR has applications that go way beyond Hollywood. It's, I think some of its greatest applications may not be narrative storytelling. It is such an exciting medium that, you know, I sure want to participate in seeing how far we can go with it. When I was watching The Wall, maybe it was because I was primed for it. I knew we were going to be talking to you. I knew your history, but... I was making all these video game connections in my mind, you know, not only is there a, a legacy of sniper-based video games and video games where cover plays an important part and, and destructible environments, which is certainly the case in The Wall, but also there's this trope of the unseen villain who you hear through a radio, that sort of Bioshock kind of thing where there's uh, someone you can't see who's menacing you and maybe there's a confrontation or or maybe there isn't or essentially the the sniper is sort of spawn camping to, to borrow a term from first person yeah. shooters where he's just kind of camping and, and picking off people. Do you see any video game parallels there? Were you thinking of any as you were making it or am I reading too much into this? You know, my the connection for between my films and video games are my desire to give the audience the immersive experience that video games have given me of, of being in the middle of the action, not passively watching it, but feeling like you're in the middle of it. As you know, as my goal with the Bourne franchise and with the wall, it's a return to that style of storytelling where I, I want you to feel like you're a soldier pinned down by the sniper. You're, you're at ground level. You're with the soldiers. You're not, you're not watching them. You're, and right alongside Aaron Taylor Johnson and John Cena, you're thinking about how do I vanquish my opponent who seems invincible. And that's the emotional experience of a video game for me, of a, of a first-person shooter video game. And then obviously the sniper and the sniper POVs and the, have a video game quality to them. And the thing about video games is you're, you're such an active participant. So I'm, I'm really interested in when I make an action film to put the audience make the audience feel like they're as an active a participant as possible. You mentioned your video game addiction. What are some of the games that you've been addicted to in your time or that you just still really play? I mean, I, I, I love anti-heroes. So I really love Grand Theft Auto. I would say I grew up to got Mario Brothers. I love sports games because I, I love sports. You know, and I, I have to say, you know, I did love GoldenEye. Oh, yeah. That's a great one. And do you have any theories about why video game adaptations to this point have not been met with a positive reception? Do you think it's the way that they've been made, the elements that have been taken from the games and transferred to the screen, or the wrong properties being chosen? Or do you have any ideas about when that, that streak might end? Uh, no, it makes me interested in doing a video game adaptation because, you know, obviously a lot of really smart, talented people have, have, have taken a shot at it. So it must be really tough. And yeah, I'm attracted to danger and challenge. <laughs> but it's, you know, I think you, you know, making films and, and developing scripts is especially action scripts, which is, you know, video game adaptations are almost certain to be, is a lot harder craft than might seem to the average moviegoer. Um, it's it's why the the people who write action films you know are are the highest paid writers in Hollywood because a smart action film in my opinion is a way more impressive accomplishment than the best drama. I know it's not it doesn't get the same kind of critical praise that a drama gets, but as an accomplishment, 
it's more impressive because smart people avoid action. So just to create scenarios and situations where your heroes are put into exciting situations and have it still feel smart, you know, when a smart person isn't going to walk down a dark alley in a bad part of town, you know, a smart person isn't going to go out hunting for that alien. Smart people, you know, stick to the well-lit streets where there is no action. Mm-hmm. But action movies would be pretty boring if, if the character successfully avoided action. Yeah. And my last question, you mentioned that you want your movies to feel immersive, to try to capture that video game sense of being there on the front lines. Video games, of course, have the constraint, or or I wonder whether you see it as a constraint, that since the player has that agency, he or she can choose what to do that makes the storytelling a little less predictable for the creator. Do you see that as a limitation in the types of stories that games can tell, or do you see that as ultimately a means of making them, if done right, as immersive or maybe more immersive than a movie can be? No, for sure a game can be more immersive. I mean, it's it's harder for a game, you know, one of the components of being immersive are characters in the world, right? Like we, we, we don't just sort of fall in love with the world, we fall in love with characters. It's why you end up with franchises, because it's, it's not just the world of Bourne identity, but people really like Jason Bourne. And you know, video games, they can't really give you the Jason Bourne, right? Because Jason Bourne is, is Matt Damon bringing a character to life, you know, and there's a reason Matt Damon is a movie star. So there's things video games can do way better than movies, but they can't do, they'll never do better than a movie is give you the kind of heart and character that a movie can give you. And characters are immersive because you, you emotionally connect with them. That being said, you know, not every action movie is the Bourne identity and not every actor is Matt Damon. So certainly video games can be more immersive and a more exciting experience than a lot of the action movies that Hollywood produces, but they can probably never eclipse the the best of the best of, of Hollywood. All right. Well, we really appreciate your time. Yeah. You've, you've Thanks had a, lot. a fascinating career. It's uh, it's a fun IMDb page to browse. You you go yeah. from directing the Born Identity to directing a couple episodes of the OC. I like both of those things, but stylistically, it seems like they're pretty dissimilar. But you've had a wide ranging career, but had a lot of things turn out really well. So I mean, that's what to say. That's you know, because I had such huge fights with the studio on Born Identity that the head of uh, Universal threatened that she was going to make sure I never worked again because wow. I really put them through hell. So I thought, you know, maybe I should do TV for a while till the dust settles. So I, I um, <laughs> produced, produced a show called the OC and, and directed the first few episodes. But so it, it yeah. I wish I could take credit for that particular career zigzag as having been <laughs> an entirely uh, creative choice. Uh, uh-huh. But, you know, I go with it. You know, you life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, you, you, you yeah. go with it. Yeah. Well, you set a trend because now all the directors want to to do what you did there. (laughs) So, yeah. And the OC stands the test of time. Hopefully the wall will join it as a a film that stands the test of time. Yes. So it's in theaters now. You can see Invisible on Samsung VR and also on the Jaunt VR apps. You can hear Doug talking more about the wall and his movie career with Sean Fennessy, our editor-in-chief on Channel 33, the Ringers Podcast Network. And We're uh, really happy to talk to you. Thank you, Doug. Thanks. Nice speaking with you. Take care. All right. We will be right back with Jonathan Allen. Hey, everyone. Before we get to Jonathan, make sure to head to TheRinger.com to read my colleague Michael Bauman's latest baseball piece. In it, he compares the Yankees' Aaron Judge to the Mets' Michael Conforto to see which young outfield star is next to be crowned the King of New York. While you're there, you can check out my review of Rhyme. You'll never guess what Jonathan Allen's first big purchase will be after he's drafted. My supercomputer. I already got it. Say what? It's a really high-end game computer which allows you to play the game at a crazy frame rate per second um, at RPS. So I'm excited about that. I'm almost looking forward to it. And what games is he going to play on that supercomputer? Well, pretty much all of them. So I'll play them on Call of Duty, Battlefield, Mass Effect, Total War. I mean, RPS, NPG, PBR, PR, MMO, anything you can think of. 
That sounds pretty awesome. Jonathan's getting ready for the draft thanks to the PNG VIP Style Lounge. Can't wait to see where he ends up on Thursday. That's not the primary reason we wanted to talk to him, although we'll maybe get into that too. But we wanted to talk to him because in his pre-draft video, someone asked him what he would do with the, the signing bonus once he got drafted and signed. And instead of saying he'd buy a car or a house or pay off his mom's mortgage or the, the standard answer that you often get from athletes, he said he wanted to buy a really high-end gaming computer. So we had to check in and see if that happened and find out about his gaming habits. Habits. It's Jonathan Allen. Hey, Jonathan. Yes, sir. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Why? Why not? Why buy one and not build one? That's the one. <laughs> that's the. That's the thing that people always tell me when I talk about wanting to get into gaming. So actually, I actually am having it built. I'm just not building it myself. I'm buying a custom built one from a website. Nice. Ooh. Uh huh. So you design it yourself? You do you pick out the components? Yep. I pick out all the components and they just all put it together for me. Nice. So you don't actually have to get the screwdriver out and plug in the, oh. the cards and get get your hands dirty. Yeah, no. <laughs> Can you tell us what your what your specs are as far as you recall? What what did you prioritize? What are you going for here? You know, I'm, I'm uh, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence, but I'm still kind of tweaking with it, and playing around with it. You know, so <laughs> can't really give you too much information on that. But trust me, when I when I finally do get it, I will be letting you guys know. <laughs> Yeah. What are you playing? What do you What do you want to run on there? Literally, honestly, every game you can think of, massive fans, um, total war. I mean, I, I play them all, all the RTS games, the first person shooters, so anything you can think of. Yeah, total war sort of stood out in that video. You you know, saying Call of Duty and Mass Effect and Total Wars. You know, maybe not the type of game that you'd hear the standard gamers say or kind of the the casual gamers. So when people heard you say Total War, they were like, Oh, he's he's serious. He knows what he's doing. Oh, yeah, I mean, Creative Assembly is definitely by far my favorite video game company producer. Total War, like, the whole series is definitely my favorite game of all time. I mean, me, my favorite... dad, and my brother, we, we all get on and play it. Do you have a favorite title, particular title, within the Total War franchise? Right now, I would have to say Warhammer Total War, only because it's the newest one and the best one. But before mm-hmm. that one, I would have to say Rome Total War. Mm. So can you tell us about your gaming history? How did you get into it? Who got you into it? How long have you been doing it? So I've always big, been big into video games, but it wasn't until high school, my freshman year, where I started playing Civilization Total War, and that's kind of when I started getting started to get into computer games. And then mm. from there, I just it's just been growing every year. Are you PC only now? You still dabble in console games too? Uh, I mean, I have an Xbox and a PS4, but since my dad and my brother, who we all live next to now, all have computer games, that's where I play the majority of my games: Battlefield. Rainbow Six Siege. I play most of those on the computer, so we can all play together. When you when you play Rome against them, who picks what faction? Uh, we kind of switch off and take turns. There's no set. I take this one, and you take that. We kind of just play around with it and see how it goes. So, how does this fit into your football schedule? Obviously, that takes up a lot of your time. So, how do you fit gaming into that? You know, I, I, I haven't been able to play games as much recently, but once I get settled with my new place and get my computer up from Tuscaloosa until I get my newer computer, that's when I'll be able to have more time, especially when we get the five weeks off and the, um, around June, July's time, that's definitely going to be some catch-up time for me. Mm-hmm. And so at Alabama, your coach is Nick Saban, of course, legendary college coach, known for being a perfectionist and demanding and kind of intimidating. What does he think about video games? Is this something that you could talk about with him or are you kind of doing it on the down low playing games or how did how did that fit into things? You know, it's not something I could probably talk to him about, but <laughs> as, as long as it was keeping me out of trouble, you know, he, he loved it. He loved it. Just one less guy for him to worry about at night. Yeah, right. And is it sort of a, a stress reliever for you? Or, or I don't know. We always wonder if it if it helps in any way someone who has a, a high-stress job or a, a very physically grueling job, whether there's any kind of benefit as far as the, the coordination goes of a first-person shooter, for instance, or whether it's just sort of a blowing-off steam kind of thing. It definitely is a stress reliever, but, I mean, I love it. I've always enjoyed playing games in my free time, so... It definitely does help relieve stress, but just for the pure enjoyment of it. Speaking of video games, your sack on uh, on Trevor Knight from uh, 2016, where you essentially like hit the turbo button and then fly in the air <laughs> for several feet. But <laughs> has anyone ever mentioned that in terms of looking that play looking like a video game play? 
Honestly, no, you guys were the first two to bring it up, but uh I mean it looks it really looks like you hit turbo and then like double tapped A and then flew. <laughs> well that's always a good comparison whenever you can make a video like game play. <laughs> Are you a, a sports gamer? Do you play football games? Because you, you've named a bunch of action games, RTS games. You haven't mentioned Madden or anything like that. You know, I used to be big on 2K. Got away from it for, for a little bit. Play Madden a lot with teammates. But for me, when I get out of football, I like to get away from sports a little bit and just stick to other, other, other games and just really get my mind off of it. Mm-hmm. How much online stuff do you play? And, and when you do, do you have, do you have like a gamer tag that, that references who you are? Or you just like to go in anonymous? Oh, that's all I play is online. Gamertag is Don Allen 93. <laughs> 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 about to get a bunch of friend requests, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on your team, like, were you the, the most hardcore gamer? Was there someone who was even more into it than you are? Do you know in Washington, is there anyone you're looking forward to playing with? Um, On my team, it was usually me and Dalvin Thomas. And we're probably the most avid gamers on the team back in college. And do you have uh, people that you play, say, shooters with regularly other than your family? Do you have, like, a, a clan go-to, or are you just doing matchmaking with, with random people? Usually usually when I do play, it's just with, with my dad and my brother. Sometimes I'll play with a couple other friends, but for the most part, it's just a family affair. Mm-hmm. When you play, do you have a particular favorite shooter? I know you mentioned a couple of Call of Duty and, and such, but what what's your favorite shooter of all time? Favorite shooter of all time, got to go with uh, Black Ops 2. Ooh. Black Ops 2, I mean, I still remember spending, during the summer, about a good eight hours a day playing it. What's your favorite kill streak? Oh, man, it's either Chopper. I got to go with the Chopper. No love for the dogs? I, uh, You know, I, I don't know. I never really used that one as much. Mm. I don't know. It's good, but never really got to it or used that one as much as the Chopper. What's your sense of how the, the football playing community compares to other sports as far as how into video games athletes are or, or how much time they spend playing? I feel like a lot of athletes are more and more athletes out here trying to play games on a more frequent basis. Just a good way to just get your mind off of football and just help you relax and just really just decompress from it. So, I mean, a lot of my friends play now and I like from over, we all play together. So, like I said, a lot, I see a lot of I see more and more guys starting to play it every year. Mm-hmm. And is there anything coming out sometime soon, later this year, that you're looking forward to? I'm looking forward to Total War Warhammer 2. That's uh, coming out pretty soon. They haven't said yeah. a hard release date, but they said 2017, so I pray it doesn't get pushed back. Mm-hmm. And what are you gaming on right now? And if it's uh, not the high-end system that you're going for, are you having to, to make compromises and turn down the settings and that sort of thing? Oh, no, I mean, the computer I have is still a really nice computer. I mean, I, I put, I, I got actually in college my freshman year, and then probably about last year, I put a lot of money in upgrades. So the computer I have currently can run almost everything on, on high settings. But I'm looking for the computer that can take me to very high settings to max out everything. <laughs> so we're talking overclocking everything, <laughs> latest graphics card, fan setup to keep it from overheating, <laughs> that kind of level. Are you going to do a gaming laptop? For, for the, the road? road? No, no, I, I don't do laptops, only desktop. So you're going to push the specs as, as far as possible? Because that's the thing, yeah. Jason and I are are more console gamers at this point in our lives, and, and part of that, I think, is because we don't like that pressure of having to feel like you have a state-of-the-art system and a new graphics card comes out and you feel like you're falling behind and you you got to upgrade. Does that bother you? Do you feel like the constant pressure to, to have the state-of-the-art system? I definitely feel like a little bit of pressure, and having a triple monitor set up probably doesn't help. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, you, you just got to stick within your means. And, I mean, as long as you can play the game at a comfortable level that you still find enjoyment out of, that's all that matters. Yeah. yeah. And so what's the, the setup other than the triple monitor? You, do you have a like some kind of gaming chair? Is there like a, a cave you're going to? What's the setup look like? Um, So I'm actually moving into my new house in a couple of days, hopefully. And I have a whole downstairs basement just ready for me to move into. So Ooh. I'm not really sure about the setup yet, but I'm, I'm super excited about it. Nice. So I was just reading your NFL.com pre-draft scouting report, and I'm wondering how this applies to your gaming habits. So according to this scouting report, you are a superior hand grappler with elite hand usage, which sounds like it should be pretty useful for, for video gaming too. Sounds like it would be good. Does that does that come into play? It definitely comes into play. You have to have the hand-eye coordination to play 
some of the first-person shooter games. I mean, it's all about who, who reacts first and who makes the move first. So I, I definitely like to use that to my advantage. Yeah, and I don't normally know the hand size of most of our guests down to the eighth of an inch, but in your case, I do nine and three eighths, which from what I understand is a couple inches bigger than than the typical American male. So are are you using standard size equipment? Is there a particular gaming mouse or or game pad you're using? No, I'm using the standard equipment, at least for now I am. Mm -hmm. What kind of of mouse do you use? Do you have one of the pro mouses? God, I can't even think of the name right now. I feel bad. I feel like I should know. It's um, wireless or wired. Oh, wired. You got to go with the wired. Um, wireless. You can have somebody click just while, while you're yeah. gaming online. Right. But it's the green one. I I can't think of the name. The G Force. Mm. Mm-hmm. And another thing your scouting report says, vocal leader willing to give strong corrections to teammates in Uh-oh. practice. <laughs> Does that apply to multiplayer shooters? Oh, 100%. I mean, we do not have not <laughs> losing as an as an as an. That's definitely something I'm always looking to do is uh, improve my gaming thing. <laughs> are you an objective guy or are you a kills guy when you play first-person shooters? I, I, I say more of an objective because if you play the objective, probably you'll get you'll get more than enough kills. I like I like what I'm hearing from Jonathan <laughs> Allen right now. Yeah, have you considered Overwatch, Jason's game of choice? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, you know. I, I was going to get it, but the thing that I don't like is they don't have a progress a progression system. I love that oh, about well, games. I like that. They don't have a, a, a true progression system. Uh-huh. It kind of deterred me away. Now, I haven't even tried it yet, so I might try it. But when I when I heard that, I was a little disappointed because I like having something to work towards or an, obje- an objective to get to eventually. Uh-huh. You like ranking up your guys more, you know, perks, et cetera. Exactly, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I kind of like the level playing field, and maybe that's, uh, I don't have the competitiveness that you do. That's uh, one of the many reasons why I'm not a first-round NFL draft pick, I guess. Do you get into single-player stuff? Do you ever get tempted, at least, to test the campaign? Oh, I mean, there's a lot of games I play single-player. Fable was probably one of my favorite games of all time. Mm. Dragon Age. Ah, Dragon Age is probably another one of my games that I really enjoy. Single player, Witch Hunter, games like that. Okay, all right. This is a a new dimension that we hadn't tapped into yet. So you you like the really meaty, long single player RPG type game that you can sink yourself into, also? Yes, because there's a lot of times where I'll get a game and I'll beat it in two days, and that's the most frustrating thing. And if there's two requests I can make about video game companies is that they will make games that last longer and they will bring back the split screen. I mean, that's just classic that they're just taking out. I mean, nowadays you get games that are incomplete, you have to buy DLC, you can beat them in, like, for example, Skyrim. I'll, I'll beat Skyrim in about four days. What? I was up. Wait, 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 hold on. Is this. Did was that just main quest? Did you do any like the side? Did you become like do all the Jarl quests and all that stuff? You just uh, you really I, beat I mean, Skyrim in four really days? Just the main quest, but for example, like in Oblivion, you had to yeah. be a certain level before you could even beat the game because of how strong the bosses right. were, as opposed to Skyrim when they were level up. With you. So I don't, I don't I don't like that. I feel like there has to be more challenging aspects to it, and that's kind of why I like Dragon Age. Yeah, I feel like Dragon Age if you turn the difficulty up. You guys, you have to grind. You have to farm to get your guys where they need to be, and I like that aspect. I feel like nowadays they're making games. They're making them. They're making them too easy. They're trying to dumb them down a little bit, which I understand. You know, to to appeal to a younger crowd. But I, I like to consider myself an extreme gamer, so I, love this. I, I like the challenge. Wow, Jason and I are always saying that the games are too long because we're trying to we're trying to find time to play them. I guess it means that we're just getting old and we're having trouble <laughs> fitting them into our our lives. But I I like this the dedication. You are extremely serious about this. It sounds like you're bringing the same attitude to video games that you're bringing to the football field for the most part. Yes, sir. All right. Well, it has been a pleasure talking to you. And yeah, really great. I hope that when you do decide what to do with your specs and you get your fully tricked out system and you get your, your whole rig set up, you will post some pictures or send us the details. We want to know what you end up getting. But we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me. No problem. And when you when you get that second Sis, when you get your next next computer, let me let me know. I'll buy that. I'll buy this. The other <laughs> yeah. One. yeah. Oh, of course. Of course.
for it. <laughs> All right. Well, you can find Jonathan on Twitter at John Allen 95 You you know how to find him online also if you want to friend him. Yeah. You've got his gamer tag too. <laughs> and you can watch him playing football in the upcoming season. So thanks again, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, we've got one more guest to go. In honor of the Android release of Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Dual Destinies, we are heading into the podcast courthouse here for a segment. And just a couple of weeks ago, we talked to a video game lawyer about matters related to copyright infringement and how that applies to the gaming world. And just this week, we read a story by Kyle Orland, who is the senior gaming editor for Ars Technica, about Valve and Blizzard and a court case concerning Dota, the super popular multiplayer online battle arena game. And we wanted to bring him on to summarize what's going on. Kyle also writes The Game Beat Weekly, the excellent gaming journalism newsletter. Kyle, hello. Hi, thanks for having me. So for people who don't know the complicated history of Dota and the interplay of Valve and Blizzard and how we got where we are, can we start there? Can you summarize how Dota 2 came to be? Yeah, I wasn't even aware of all of this before I read uh, the excellent summary in this uh, court case from uh, Judge Charles Breyer. So back in uh, 2002, Dota started as a Warcraft 3 mod uh, created by a guy named Yule, E-U-L, uh, this is online handle. And then um, kind of split off from there, some other modders took, uh, starting in 2003, took some of the best characters that had uh, come into various different Dota branches and turned that into Dota All-Stars. Uh, a guy named uh, Gwinsu, uh, as his handle, was took over that branch and was kind of the lead developer, even though a lot of people contributed. That eventually transferred to Icefrog, who is uh, well-known uh, for his role at Valve. Uh, eventually, he was hired by Valve and apparently sold his rights to Dota All-Stars for a handsome price, uh, as the rule put, ruling put it. Yule, who created the original Dota, was also hired by Valve and sold his rights to Dota. Um, meanwhile, Gwinsu, who had some claim on Dota All-Stars, went over to Riot. They sold their rights to Blizzard. Blizzard and uh, Valve eventually settled out of court uh, giving Valve the rights to the name for standalone games, and Blizzard had the rights to the mod. So it seemed at that point that Valve had kind of bought its way into owning uh, the rights to Dota, but uh, apparently it's not that clear-cut. You talked about um, in your piece, there's a forum posting from 2002 that the case kind of hinges on. Could you explain how that how that plays into it? Uh, exactly. 2004, actually. Um, oh, sorry. Excuse me. Yule, yeah. When he, he, Yule basically got uh, tired of um, developing Dota. He had been taking up too much of his time. He was, I think he was going off to college and uh, needed to focus on that. So he, he just uh, put up this post and said, from this point forward, Dota is now open source. Whoever wishes to release a version of Dota may, without my consent, I just ask for a nod in the credits to your map. So that seems kind of clear cut that really none of these other people can have a, a claim on Dota. He said it's open source. So, you know, if these this, this court case, by the way, is um, two mobile developers who are making a game based on Dota characters from the original mod. So even though some of them appear in Dota 2, they say, that, oh, we're not infringing on Dota 2. We're going after this original mod. And there is an argument to be made that uh, that's open source. Uh they haven't actually made this argument in court, but uh, the judge said that uh, there's a pretty good case to be made for this. It, depend, it depends on what was actually meant by that uh, forum post, though. Did he really mean, oh, anyone can use my game and make you know, a commercial game out of it? Or did he just mean, oh, other modders can make different versions of Dota, and it's just for this like tight-knit community? Have both sides weighed in on the, the meaning of that? Po- I mean, it seems pretty clear-cut. <clears throat> from the from the language of it, if you're reading it on a forum, I think contemporaneously you think, oh, I I can make Dota mods now, right? But it, has either side weighed in on what that might mean? Yeah. So right now they it, it just ruled on a, a summary judgment petition from the uh, mobile developers who basically made some uh, other arguments. They were arguing that uh, Dota was a collective work that uh, Yule and others couldn't really sell the copyright to Valve and Blizzard. Uh, because uh, a lot of people had gone into making it. They didn't control the game, and uh, the judge pretty much threw that out. They said, yes, lots of people contributed, but these modders were the 
the head of the development. They were the ones who decided which recommendations got into the uh, final version of of that branch of the game. So they had they did have the copyright to it. Uh, it's sort of like you know Spike Lee has the copyright to a movie that he uh, writes and directs, um, or and the producers might even if an expert helps with that, uh, they are not granted uh, part of the copyright just for that. So that's what the argument has focused on so far, but the judge uh, identified some of these other things. Uh, apparently, there's also a clause in the uh, EULA for Warcraft 3 that says uh, mod makers can't make things uh, for commercial purposes uh, or on a standalone basis or packaged with other software or hardware. So uh, once Dota split off into this uh, multi-billion dollar franchise that uh, got sold to Valve and Blizzard and... Uh, you know, became the standalone game Dota 2 and, you know, other games. That seems to be a very commercial use, um, but that argument hasn't actually come up except for the judge pointing it out yet. So from here on, maybe we'll see uh, some interesting legal wrangling. Yeah, I feel for this judge. I don't know if he was a big yeah. Blizzard fan to begin with, <laughs> but he, he had a lot of homework. The way <laughs> the way he wrote the ruling, it's it's very entertaining to read. It's it's not most of these things are very dry, and they make uh, a lot of legal obtuse legal references. This guy really lays out the the history of the case and uh, writes with a flair that it makes me think that maybe he is uh, involved in the gaming community in some way, huh. or at least follows it. Yeah. Do you think there are larger implications here that go beyond just these company and this game, or is Dota such a unique hybrid and, and has such an uncommon origin that this wouldn't apply to that many big games? This is uh, kind of unique in a lot of ways. Uh, the the wrinkle of, of granting an open source license is not one that will usually come up. That said, the idea of mods becoming full games is becoming more and more common these days. Uh, mm -hmm. Things come out all the time that just uh, start as an idea and become uh, a big game. Uh, usually it's pretty clear that mod makers own the rights to their mods. Uh, most uh, game eulas don't claim ownership of anything made in the game universe, uh, pretty much because that would really discourage the mod makers from putting in the work. That said, there could be a claim made that if you create the base game that a mod is put on top of that you might want to try and make a legal case to get it you know if if blizzard really wanted to say uh, this is all based on warcraft 3 and we want to claim ownership of it they could try and argue that i guess but i'm not sure how far they would get so overall uh i don't think this is going to really be a, a precedent setting case it's more an interesting uh wrinkle in something that really seemed settled that Valve had, you know, control of Dota. And now that's kind of in question. Do you think there's a chance that this ruling could go against Valve or, or that they could regret bringing this case to court? Because if it did go against them, that would kind of open the door for people to make all kinds of Dota properties that they wouldn't have <laughs> dared to before for fear of being brought to court. That's true. It could it could backfire on them and uh, find that if if the judge really does find that that Dota is open source and anyone can base anything off the original mod, then yeah, a lot of those original characters that uh, Valve thought it had control of will will now be in uh, kind of the public domain. But uh, you know, if it looks like that might happen, they could you know just settle out of court and say, okay, you guys have a license. You know, you uh, will pay a little bit and get a license to, to Dota for, for this one case, and then it avoids the, the precedent uh, setting. But yeah, if if it backfires on them, we could see you know dozens and dozens of games with the, the Dota name, and it would just kind of uh, spring from there. I'm not sure where I would rate those chances. Uh, the fact that Dota 2 is such an established brand at this point uh, mm -hmm. probably leans things towards uh, an interpretation where, you know, and Valve has some deep pockets as well. They're, they're pr I would guess that they are going to be able to defend against this, but, you know, there's a chance they might not. And the two mobile game makers, they are Chinese companies, is that right? And is, I, I don't know whether um, you've looked into this at all, but is copyright infringement rampant there? Is, is this a more common issue than just Dota 2 and, and just this individual case? 
at least one of them uh, is a Chinese company, yes. And uh, I believe I, I'm not uh, an expert on this. I'm, I'm not a lawyer, and uh, I don't know much about Chinese law in general. Uh, but um, uh, I, I get the impression that uh, the copyright protections in China are, are much less, and you see things released there that uh, you know use characters from other companies, and it's either not against the law or not enforced there. Um, that being said, you know, these companies are, have released these games on the U.S. Uh, app stores and they want to expand outside of China. So uh, the U.S. law does apply at least for those versions. And, you know, outside of outside of China, there's a lot of other countries. Uh, the EU has, uh, you know, broadly similar copyright laws to us, for instance. So if you want to keep things within China, it's not a big deal, maybe. But if you want to expand globally, you get uh, all sorts of uh, entanglements with different countries' laws. And do you know anything about the timeline for this case? When we'll be hearing things? Is this going to stretch on for months, maybe years? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think that we've actually seen any filings that suggest when uh, it's going to go to a jury trial or, um, you know, there might be other pretrial motions that come up and delay things. Uh, you know, with with companies this big involved and uh, this much money at stake, uh, I would expect things to drag out for a while, uh, months if not uh, a year or two. Mm-hmm. We need you in the courtroom doing <laughs> courtroom sketches of, of <laughs> you do not Dota two see, heroes. You do not want to see they... my courtroom sketches. I, that, I mean, there's a reason I'm a writer and not an artist. It's uh, it would be bad when they call in the heroes to testify about oh, which yeah, company owns, owns them. That's got to be a, a great moment in courtroom history when each side is <laughs> naming the, the heroes and which ones are owned by whom, presumably. Yeah, the the ruling actually tries to describe what Dota is, and it, it makes reference to uh, elves and goblins and even one uh, elf <laughs> goblin. And it, it's it's just, in, in reading that in a court ruling is just uh, incredible. All right, well, it's a really interesting case. We yeah. will be following, hopefully, uh, through Kyle so he can do all the work for us. But you can <laughs> no read Kyle at Ars Technica. You can find him on Twitter at Kyle O-R-L. You can also find his newsletter at tinyletter.com slash Kyle O-R-L. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. So we will end it there today. You are playing Ultra Street Fighter 2. Ultra Street Fighter 2 for the Switch. Yeah. How's that? I like it because if I want to play video games for literally five and a half minutes, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. That's the perfect length for us these yeah. days. <laughs> but uh, all right. So we will talk again next week about Rhyme. We'll probably come up with some other topics in between now and then. So have a nice long weekend. We will talk to you all at the end of next week. Mm-hmm.